Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the One Peace of Mind podcast. I'm your host, Nico White, and let's jump into chapters 1030 and 1031. First of all, the reason that we're getting right to it is because I enjoyed both of these chapters very much. And 1030 was actually a very, very controversial chapter for a lot of the fan base of One Piece. And let's just jump right into what happens. So start with chapter 1030. We see um, we see a lot, as a matter of fact, in this battle. So there's a lot to go over. This episode is going to be a bit back to form as far as the length is concerned. So with that being said, I hope everyone is good. I hope you all have been safe. I hope you all have been happy and healthy. And in the meantime, let's get into talking about chapters 1030 and chapters 1031. So we come in on 1030. We I think the title was um, Echoing, The Impertinence of All Things. Now, I don't know what that means per se. Of course, I thought it was in reference to the voice of all things. You know, um, we see Brooke on the cover and it's a reader request. Brooke carefully trying not to step on a line of army ants which I don't know for some reason made me think of the Tantata for some, you know, for some strange reason. And then we cut in and we see Drake and Apu are face to face with one another. It's Apu and a whole bunch of his numbers. And Apu is actually making a pretty decent point where he's telling ex-Drake like, yo, man, neither of us are really on a side right now. Why don't we just join forces and take the heads of whoever wins this battle, whether it's Kaido, whether it's whoever. Because right now we're both, you know, we're both nobodies. You may as well join up with each other and fight. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And Drake cuts him off right there. He doesn't, there's nothing to glean with this conversation. Drake tells Apu, I've heard, I've already heard enough. What makes you think that I would trust you in any way? And Apu said something that I thought was actually really apt where he said, hey fam, you, you, let's not talk about who's to be trusted here. Okay. Because as far as trustworthy is concerned, neither you nor I have the best standing. And when I thought about it, I was like, you know what? That's 100% correct. Because when you think about it, who's really manipulating more people right now? I wonder, is it X-Drake or is it Apu or are they more similar than we think? And I wonder what Apu's true goal is. Like Apu might be more Blackbeard than anyone else. And there's a speculation that he might even be Blackbeard's 10th Titanic captain. I'm not sure that that's the case, but... It would be funny if we do see a reveal on that by the end. We also see that Apu is hanging out with some numbers. I think numbers one, two, and three. And we cut to in between the first and second floors. And we see that Tama, Komachio, Usopp, and Nami, they're all running. You know, they're running away. And they come across <laughs> the controversy of this chapter. That controversy being the bottom half of Kinemon is running around, bleeding, you know what I'm saying, farting, looking for help, right? And a lot of people took umbrage with this particular part of the chapter, and I'm talking about serious umbrage. And the reason that they took such offense to the chapter was everybody was under the impression that Kinemon was dead. They thought he had a great send-off and to go out the way that they believed that he did was great. And to see Kinemon's lower half running around confirms that Kinemon is alive, which was a downer to a lot of fans. But I would say this, I would say this to anybody that's reading or watching um anybody that's reading the One Piece manga. Um perhaps perhaps you should just be patient and realize that everything happened in Onigashima. This is all happening like we get it week to week, but this is all still within the same five minutes, bro. 
Okay, so everybody just relax a little bit. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But if for some reason, Kinemon still being alive for now hurts you, then I'm sorry, but let's continue. So we see that Kinemon and Usopp, well, Kinemon's lower half and Usopp have linked up and he's trying to get some help because Kiku is basically on her last legs, right? She's near death. And Kinemon assumes that the reason that he's even able to do what he's doing is because his body wasn't reattached properly after Law cut him in half, which is enough of a funny enough gag to where I get it. And everybody that's butthurt about it, well, it's kind of your fault for being butthurt. Oda doesn't usually kill people, and I was wrong, but I do think Kinemon and Scabbards are still going to die anyway. But then we get something even more interesting. That piece of garbage Orochi makes one final order to Conjuro, who just so happens to still be holding on to the last bit of breath that he has left in his body. And he tells Conjuro to create his final act, to do the one thing that he's supposed to do. And that's hot tea. And Conjuro did just that with his final wish, with his final breath. I shall perform my final dance, the glorious death of the Kurizumi clan. And we see the Kazumbo, this gigantic fire apparition. Now, here's what's crazy about this whole thing is that Yamato already mentioned in previous chapters that, yo, there's nothing but bombs on, on, on Nikashima. It's a giant flying bomb. And this thing is passing through walls, setting people on fire. It's almost like a living Amaterasu, except it's not black flames, you know. So... Then we leave the disaster that's that, and we cut to some of the other things happening. We see Onigashima in the sky. We see the rocks come crumbling from it, and we get the report that an enormous freakish apparition has appeared on the second floor of the castle, and it's gliding, and it's gliding about like some kind of ghost, right? So this fire is almost sentient. It has a mind of its own, but then there's so much going on in chapter 1030 because we cut from there to Brooke running away and sure enough the cp0 agents seem to be like they're on the move right and we get a little cutaway so certain battles get a quick get a quick update with queen and sanji quick update with with luffy and kaido and quick update with zoro and king and then we see this fucking bastard orochi sitting on the throne saying like don't think i don't know kaido that you've got an army, that you got an armory beneath the castle, all those weapons that you had, that I had you create. Go and light them all up, Conjuro. Bow it all to kingdom come. And he's still waiting on Fukurokuju, which I'm actually shocked we haven't seen that battle wrap up yet, right? So now as we approach the latter half of the chapter, the final couple pages, we go back to the law and big mob law kid and big mom fight i apologize to the kid fans for almost leaving kid out but I'm, i don't want to say kids a non-factor i just want to say that he's um i'm not quite sure what he's doing here because we get to this last few pages of chapter 10 30 and we see that big mom is pretty much having her way with kid in law like she's having her way right and they decide that in order to get some type of upper hand or even to fight her on even ground, they need to awaken their devil fruits. And Law admits that when he awakens his devil fruit because he doesn't have it all locked down yet, 
when he does that, it's kind of dangerous because he's definitely going to lose the battle after that. It's his last ditch effort. Kid basically says the same thing. Their experience isn't up to par where it needs to be to really awaken their fruit for long stretches of time, right? And Kid acts as the distraction. As Big Mom hits him with Hikaku Sarati and is going for the kill, Law jumps in with a new move called Kroom Anesthesia, and he pierces Big Mom, right? But the piercing itself isn't the problem. But I guess he ignited something in, within her where he can create shockwaves that he called Shock Willy, and it made Big Mom cough up blood, right? In response to that, Big Mom said, you've really done it now, you little brat. And Kid has this move called the sign, where apparently he can take his magnetic fields and put it around others and polarize them magnetically. And it made Big Mom attract all the surrounding nearby metals, like the beams, her own sword, things of that nature, right? Now, with that being said, I don't really know how much of a how much of a factor that was, because Big Mom is ridiculously powerful and has very, very hard skin. But Law's ability was definitely, definitely super effective. So shout out to Law. And then we leave chapter 1030 and we get to chapter 1031. And the cover page of this joint is just fire. All the first mates from all across One Piece and first mates and, you know, like second in commands from Rayleigh, Ben Beckman, King, Katakuri, Killer, Marco, Beppo, Shiryu, Sabo, and of course... The one with the missing left eye, Roranora Zoro. Shout out to One Piece. A lot of people were like, you know, shocked to get confirmation that Burgess wasn't the right-hand man on the Blackbeard Pirates. I caught myself as one of those people. I thought that was definitely the case. But come to find out, that is not. I'm fine with it. Let's move on. Let's get to chapter 1031, A Warrior of Science. Let me just tell you, this chapter is a 10 out of 10 for me right on the back because it did each and every single thing right. I want to start off by saying I love Big Mom and I hate Father. I love Big Mom because, you know, Big Mom's kind of that sleeper Yonko. You know what I mean? Where it's like, y'all really playing with her. But she did something that I really appreciated. As soon as we start the chapter off, Oda picks up right where he left off. You got Law. You got Kid. They both down bad. And Kid's kind of talking shit like, yeah, how do you like that? And we get this great character moment between Law and Kid where Law's you know, inquiring about kids awakening, like, hey, so you can assign, you know, the properties of magnetism to other people for about how long does that last? The kid's like, hold on, bro, hold on. Why would I tell you that of all people? Like, get out of here, right? I done been through a lot. I ain't with all that trust shit. And of course, we get the father talking about, oh, nobody could survive anything like that, not even Big Mom, blah, 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 blah. Well, Spoiler alert, Big Mom not only survived, but she got up out that shit and took the souls of everybody around. And the people that were around were the people that spilled the Oshiruko from earlier. Just going to show you that Big Mom has just been justice this whole arc. She has been justice. So she takes some souls and then we get into something crazy. Big Mom turned into Bigger Mom because she says that the souls of the weaklings that are around aren't enough to help her. And she decides to use an entire year of her own lifespan to strengthen herself. And Big Mom grows into what looks like a giant. Like, this is scary. This is really, 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 really scary. And I just want to pop in here to make one thing clear. Just looking at Big Mom from the damage that it seems like she took, it seemed like the damage that Big Mom took came directly from Law. Big Mom's skin doesn't seem to be cut, doesn't seem to be pierced. So I'm not particularly sure what Kid did. I'm not particularly sure 
kids power will have any use until big mom's like like jelly until her skin can be pierced but until then yeah i don't know what kid's gonna do here but the reason that i like big mom and i love her even more after this chapter is because big mom ain't pussy about hers and she hasn't been since the moment we met her she told this to luffy what she tells the kid in law she says i haven't felt this much pain in decades i think that's very impressive you two Trafalgar Law, Captain Kidd, I'm sure you've come from my throne, just like Straw Hat Luffy. So take it if you can. Prove you're worthy of being an emperor of, of the sea. And this is why I like Big Mom, because from the moment we first meet her, she's like, hey, yo, you wasn't this yours, bro. You just got to knock me off it. To be the man, you got to beat the mom. Ric Flair said that. Woo! <laughs> So, after Big Mom makes her proclamation of, I right, bitch, you want my throne? You're going to have to take it from me. But I ain't, I ain't abjugating nothing. I ain't giving up no crown. You want it? You're going to have to take it. Shout out to T.I. Never bow down and never say die. That's to whom it may concern and whosoever may try. On a song called No Matter What. Shout out T.I. T.I.P. That's a rapper in case you don't know. I wonder if he liked One Piece. And then we find out a little bit more about Law and Kid. Law says some can't believe I have to beat this monster just so I can learn about just so I can learn more about history. That goes to show you that Law's ambition is to learn the true history. And kids is just like, you know, I guess notoriety. He says, don't hold any strength back as long as you still live. We're going to bring her down even if it kills us. And actually, it just might kill you because Big Mom don't like she playing. She giant as hell. It's crazy. And then we cut to some fodder talking about how they feel like they're in hell because you still have the fire and all that starting up. So, you know, they're going to die. But shit, that's fodder. Anyway, we cut back to the cave chamber and we see Apu and X-Drake going back at it, right? Then out of nowhere, while they're going at it, we see Yamato running through it. Yamato has the information of somebody that's walking into a conversation late and just hearing the last thing people said with no context. So she walks in and just believes that she ran into two people that still work for her father and she's ready to fight. And Apu, knowing this, takes advantage of the situation in a very masterful way, actually. And he makes Yamato believe that, hey, Yamato, I'm on your side. X-Drake is. And she attacks X-Drake, which works, but it's brief because X-Drake's like, look, I'm not with your dad either. I'm fighting Apu. Can you please let me go? And Yamato goes on about her way. But... There's something strange with the numbers. They seem as if they notice Yamato and people are speculating that, you know, these giants might be, you know, these numbers might be gi gigantification experiments on the people that Yamato was in prison with. I don't know that to be the case. I'm fine if that is the case. I'm a trust older and that's where I am. And I think a lot of people should get there. I'm trusting older, y'all. Trust older. Because even when you look at chapters 1030 and 1031, you think about the fact separated 1030, man, 1030 sent a ripple through the fan base. But 1030 and 1031, when you read them together, it's peanut butter and jelly, dog. So I think we all should relax a little. And now we cut back to the second floor where Brooke and Robin are. We see that they have now encountered the CP0 agents. And they're on the run. And Robin's already saying, like, hey, yo, Brooke, these people are on another level. Like, the CP0 agents in the mask are not to be played with. And since we only see two of them, I still think that leaves a couple more. So I'm curious to see what it is they're doing and where. And now we cut to the main shebang of this chapter. We get to the Pleasure Hall, Left Brain Tower, Skull Dome. And we see Sanji is getting accosted by some women, right? 
Now, here's the thing about the Pleasure Hall. That used to be Black Maria's territory, and we know that Black Maria is a bit of a manipulator when it comes to information and things like that, a bit of a liar, a bit of a cheat. So I'm curious as to what really happened because we see that Sanji is in the presence of a woman who seems to have been beaten up, assaulted, hit, something of that nature, right? And Sanji doesn't necessarily remember what happens. All he knows is that when he saw her, she was fine next to him. He knows she looks like this. Anything could have happened. But Sanji's confronted by Queen, who catches up with him. And Sanji has this great, great, great moment where Sanji goes... Which one... Where Sanji goes... Hold on, I just want to make sure I got it right. Sanji has this moment when he's thinking about himself because he already thought that he was losing his emotions, right? And he ran away from Queen. Now he's in a situation where not only does he is he not sure if he's losing his emotions, but he can't even be sure that he didn't put his hands on a lady. And as we all know, being One Piece fans, that is one of Sanji's top tenets, right? He never wants to be a person that Zeph would, would be ashamed of, and he never he never wants to be a person that would be capable of hitting a lady. So Sanji pulls out the raid suit, which he believes is responsible for these quote-unquote changes that he thinks he's having. And he asks himself, which one's going to be more useful to the King of the Pirates? And then Sanji says something that legit gave me chills. I've made up my mind. Fam, it felt like Bratier after Sanji had got that, had heard the cook saying like, you know, we all want him to leave, we all want him to go with you. It felt like that when Sanji finally made a decision. And of course, Queen thought Sanji was going to put the suit on. And Sanji instead crushes the suit. And Sanji says, I have to assume this thing caused the science. That's why that was already in my body to awaken and activate somehow. Well, I can't do anything about that. But I can say no more. I'm not going to be a German soldier. Farewell, German. Farewell, women's bath. This is one fight I've got to end myself. Here's how big of a moment that is for Sanji. Sanji just put aside his dream. He just put aside his selfishness. He put aside his invisibility. All for his decisions. And what happens next might be, for me, one of the most emotional and cathartic sequences to happen in One Piece. I'm just going to read it to you. Outside the dome, Zoro versus King. The Dendemushi goes off. Zoro figures out that he has a Dendemushi. He says, what? Since when did I have a transponder stale? Sanji says, I snuck, I stuck it in your stomach, man, just in case you were dying in a ditch somewhere. Idiot cook, I didn't ask for your help. Sanji says, just listen to me. I'll be quick. We're going to beat the beast pirates real soon. Zoro says, you think I don't know that? San Sanji continues, but after we finish, if I'm not in my right mind, I want you to kill me. Man, to which Zoro says, all right, fine. I'll kill you just like you asked. Whatever that's supposed to mean. At least now I have something to look forward to. In that case, 
don't die before then. Mm, that hit me right here. That hit me right here because the fan base, you know, a lot of times we'll get caught up in Zoro versus Sanji, blah, blah, blah. This is heads and tails of the same coin. That's Luffy's right and left hand. With, of course, you know how I think about it. The top three of the Straw Hats will always be as follows after Monkey D. Luffy. Roronora Zoro, Sanji Vinsmoke, God Usopp. Period. And that's the that's the start that's the starting four right there, and you can argue with somebody else, right? Fuck Jimbet. But yeah. So to see them have this moment and Zoro's care, and like not even Zoro's care, but the shared care. The bromance is real. Because Saji put the Denden Mushi on Zoro basically to avoid a nothing happened moment. That was the reason. He basically said it to you. It's deeper than you think. Zoro, when Zoro says, this gives me something to look forward to, don't die before then. This time, bro, don't die. Mm, I live for those moments, fam. Because that's how I show love, you know what I'm saying, in my personal life. I ain't, gonna, I ain't always like, ah, you know, I love you. I'm more Zoro, and then shit, sometimes I'm Sanji. But man, then we get to the closing, pa- the closing panel. Sanji goes ghost. I don't know if he was invisible or not. Some of the community think he was. And he hits Queen with hell memories. So, I thought chapter 1031 was a 12 out of 10. Just because we got the Zoro moment. We got the Big Mom moment. We got the, we got the Zoro Sanji moment. We got the Big Mom moment. This It was full with everything. It was action-packed. You know what I mean? Um... I want to close this um, episode by talking about Sanji a little bit and something that I've noticed. So Sanji right now is fighting himself because he's not sure how he's really been changed, right? And I don't know if you guys know, but the Beast Pirates are based off of card games. Queen in particular, Sanji's opponent, is based off of the card game Scabby Queen, right? Now, Scabby Queen is a bit like uh, Bloody Mary, but it's a card game to where... There's a certain superstition that you have to believe, right? You have to be under the impression. And if you lose the game, you got to go in the room and, like, say, it's like Bloody Mary, but say whatever you're supposed to say, like, five times. And if you believe it, like, you know, something will happen to you, right? If you look at Sanji and you look at what's going on right now, right now, Sanji legit just doesn't know, right? He doesn't know how the science is changing him, if it's changing him. Me personally, I don't think he's losing his emotions at all. I do think that he's going through like germ of puberty, but I don't think he's losing his emotions. I think speaking to somebody like Queen has him more scared of what he's becoming versus him actually becoming anything. I think that Sora worked. You know what I'm saying? I think what his mom did worked. I don't think Sanji's ever going to lose his emotions. Um, I also don't think the raid suit him breaking it like that, I'm not sure that particularly is going to have any effect. But but what I feel like I know, and again, this is all speculation, all of it, but what I feel like I know, I feel like I know that Sanji is putting more of this on himself than what probably than what's probably really there. And it's all as easy as him doing what he just did is make a decision. But that's the beauty of this character is that Sanji and Usopp are very, very much 
similar, right? And I think they're the characters most like all of us, right? And I think that's why we feel so much about those characters. And it's very starch, it's very staunch feelings when it comes to Usopp, when it comes to Sanji. People aren't really like wishy-washy about it. They either all in or they're not at all. So for that reason, I think this, what we're all feeling right now as a fan base when it comes to Sanji and what he's going through, I think it all makes sense. I think he's putting himself through a lot, but I think this is a growing point they need to get to. And having said that, I think these are chapters that you all need to get to, so I won't keep you away from them any further. If you would like to find me, you can find me on Instagram at NicoWhite93. That is at N-E-K-O-W-H-I-T-E-9-3 on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter and TikTok, NicoWhite93. On Twitter, that's Nico underscore White93. Um, folks, thank you all so much for listening to the One Piece of Mind podcast. I'll be back with new episodes every week. Make sure y'all keep checking us out right here on the Paper House Network. Make sure y'all check out all the other podcasts and shout out to our sponsors. My name's Nico White. Peace.